0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. I just want to give you uh, uh, our gratitude, our thanks for observing uh, this social distancing putting up with the inconvenience of masks, all of these things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had someone with us who had no idea they had COVID. They were asymptomatic. A couple of days later, they got tested. They were positive. That's why we uh, did not do in-person services last week. But because of the procedures that all of you are following so well, the Department of Health was, uh, was impressed and said, you guys can open back up today. So... I'm so thankful that all of you, I know it's an inconvenience. I miss seeing your faces, your eyes. I can't quite tell if you're mad at me or you're happy with me. I'm not sure. I like to read the room, but uh, but thank you for doing this, and thank you for being so cautious. Well, <clears throat> over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, Lisa and I have been doing a study in Advent, and I came across some some teaching and some training and some stuff that uh, one of my favorite theological professors did many years ago on the angels and I wanted to share it with you over the next few days. What do what do the angels perspective in the Christmas narratives and in the biblical narratives what do the angels perspectives say to us about our preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and so one of the passages that I'd like to read we are going to start with really this idea of what is it they want to see, because uh, Peter talks about this, but I want us to read these verses in First Peter, and uh, it's kind of a somewhat of a lengthy passage to get to the one part about the angels, but I, I hope as we read this together, you'll digest that it really is speaking to not only the birth of Jesus and the circumstances surrounding his birth but the trials that you're going through right now and what the Bible has to say about those trials. So would you read God's word out loud with me? I like it when we read as a church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look so the the focus of the next few weeks is that little phrase that Peter who had many encounters with angels wrote this and said that what you now know what you have now experienced is what angels long to understand. They long to understand what God was up to. They long to understand what the prophecies and all these things mean. And so we want to look at the angelic perspective on Christmas over these next few weeks. Now, the question that might seem strange that I'd like to ask you is, do you think you've ever met an angel? Now, before you say yes or no, Some of you are saying, well, my wife is an angel, or my husband. No, you're not. You didn't say that? Come on. (laughs) My sweetheart is an angel. No. Uh, In Hebrews, it actually says that some of you have met angels and you were unaware of it. And it says that's why you should treat strangers well, because you never know who they are. They know who you are, but you don't know who they are. And so, you know, for some people that might seem, well, it's kind of strange in this modern age to talk about supernatural beings such as angels. But all through Christmas time, we're going to be singing songs. And many of those songs, I would say sometimes two out of three, one out of three at least, all deal with angels. Hark the herald angels sing, you know, uh, uh, angels we have heard on high. We're singing. And when I see you singing them, you sing very happily. So hopefully you're believing what you're singing. Maybe what it is is some people say, well, angels were then, this is now. But let me tell you, if they're then, then they're also now. They have not gone anywhere. But part of it is if we understand the biblical narrative and we understand the biblical teaching, I really believe that you'll begin to understand what an incredible source of confidence and security they are for us. Now, one of the things that Peter's past, the passage I read that Peter wrote, makes clear is that there are times and seasons in Christians' life where we go through great trials. And what he says about those trials is those are, those are trials where the gold of your life is put into the fire and it's tested. And what comes out of the fire will only be gold, but anything that's not gold, anything that does not have glory to it will be burned up in the fire and so what we're doing as we go through COVID-19 as we go through a season of unrest and difficulty and uncertainty where our future is not really clearly known to us is that we are revealing what is gold in our life and we are revealing what is not gold and what happens is in the pressure of the trial you begin to see what you really count as what gives you comfort or what really counts as making you feel safe or what you count as making you secure and probably a lot of us if we're honest we'd say we get a lot of comfort from food because most of us are gaining weight during (laughs) COVID-19 and then some of us would say well I get comfort or I I just want to turn my brain off, so I want to watch TV or movies, or I just want to get distracted. And, and, and while that's not sin, it's still something we have to ask ourselves, what is God doing in the midst of this trial? And is he revealing in me things that I rely on that are not gold? And are there things I'm protecting of my personality, of my circumstances that God is actually saying, I'm going to burn that up. Because in burning up that dross or that trash, I'm going to make that pure gold come forth. And so it's, it's in seasons like this that you and I need to have a belief that's a little something deeper than just simply thinking, it's up to me and my willpower. That we have to begin to have eyes that see what the Lord is doing, even when we're having ears to see what's going on in the world. And we have to see that there are invisible realities that are more real than even the visible realities. And in many ways, that's where faith really becomes faith. It's not when I see something I believe it, but when I don't see it and I still believe it. What, what Peter said is so interesting. He says, you never met Jesus, but you love him. You never met Jesus, but you believe in him. You never met him, but your hope is in him. And he says, that's where the gold comes from. That's where the, that's where the real permanent, weight of glory comes from so part of this is starting to understand how does the spiritual realm interact with our material world throughout the christmas narrative angels are in and out i mean they are they are prevalent in every story of christmas they are also in half of all the biblical books there's 66 books of the bible at least half of those have references to angelic presence, power, and ministry. So I wanted us to get a little bit of perspective on these angels that we're singing about. Here's what Peter has to say that makes it really interesting to me to study about the angels. Now, in this first passage, in this first chapter, he says, the way that God works is that God would give the prophets a portion of the picture so these prophets would be speaking in these familiar texts a child will be born a son will be given but they're not told when the child would be born they're not told what the child will look like they weren't told much at all except a child would be born then they had things like a virgin shall give birth to a son and and the prophet has no idea who the virgin is, no idea wh- when this is going to happen, or anything else. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, some of the historical context of these prophecies, the city is surrounded by enemies. They're looking for a word from God, and God sends them a word: a virgin shall ha- be with child. I've never heard that as a military strategy. You understand? The king's looking for, how are you going to defeat my enemies? And he gets a word from the prophet, says, a virgin shall be with a child. You understand? The prophets themselves spoke only what God gave them to speak, but they didn't really know what they were saying. Number one, do you understand how amazing it is That these great men of prophecy, these great men of the Spirit who are acting on the part of God to speak His Word knew less than you know. You have the whole picture. You know who the Virgin is. Her name's Mary. You know about that little town in Bethlehem. You know who that child in the manger is. He's fully God. He's fully man. And He's the Savior of the world. But more than that, He's personal to you. If you are a believer, it's not because you're smart. If you're a believer, it's because you've met him. Because his spirit has taken your dead spirit in its sins and trespasses and has made you alive in Christ, uniting his spirit to your spirit so that as long as he is, you will be. And they had, they had none of that. One of them had a piece here, Bethlehem. One had a piece there, a virgin. One had a piece here, a son. Some of them knew that his stripes would get us healing. But I guarantee you, they didn't expect a cross. Do you understand, if I were your enemy, I would keep blinding you to your privileged position. And I would keep making you think, boy, I wish I was Elijah. Elijah knew almost nothing compared to you. Even the angels, this passage says, did not know what you know. Are you tracking with me in this? (laughs) Three of you, I guess that's enough. Uh, For some reason, this is not advancing for me. It must have gone to sleep on me. (laughs) Can I just say this to you about that? If the prophets and the angels only had so much revelation and they depended and walked with God in the revelation that they had, how much more so is it important that you live in humble obedience and humble dependence on the revelation God has given you. And in some way, they were willing to risk everything they were and everything they had for the little piece of revelation that God gave them. And he's given you the fullness of the revelation of his son. In a way, you should live in a confidence like never before. And you should live in an assurance like never before. They, see, they had not known someone who could die and come back from the dead who had said, I will die and come back from the dead. And yet you not only know him, he has united his spirit to your spirit. Not only did he die for you and as he risen for you, you died with him, you are risen with him, and even now he has seated you at the right hand of the Father. But you see, you have to, begin to be, you have to begin to weight that information. You have to weight that information as more important than any other information. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I read the paper every day. I read about three or four papers a day. And every one of them is filled with gloom and doom about COVID-19. And it is. I mean, I don't, take, I don't take it lightly that people are dying. I do not take it lightly that people are getting infected. That is a reality. But if that is my only reality, and especially with the diverse opinions of what I should do with that reality, then all I am is confused. So I have an unconfusing, unfading a completely permanent gold-like revelation that now I can wait as more important than any of those. Because even if COVID-19 gets us, it just takes us home to be with the Lord. And you and I are not dependent on the faithfulness of our government. We are dependent on the faithfulness of God. If God has to, he'll make the ravens bring you food again. And I'm not talking about the Baltimore ravens. Oh. <laughs> Are you tracking with me in this? So what do we, why do we have such confidence beyond what we can see? Well, let's, let's talk about these angels and how the Bible talks about them. The first thing is this. The Bible makes it very clear that anybody who is in relationship with God is family. Angels are God's heavenly family. They're not an army. They're not a court. They're his family. You understand? God has revealed himself to be somebody who doesn't do business with people. God is family or there is no relationship. When Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, oh, great king. When he taught us to pray, he didn't say, oh, sovereign God. He is both of those things. But the only approach you have that gives you a hearing is our Father. You understand? God is nothing more than a descriptor. Father is his true relationship to those Who are in relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of relationship of any believer is not believer to their God only. It is child to father. This is the beginning of the relationship. The spirit of adoption makes you born again. And you speak now to the father of the Lord Jesus Christ as your father, as the Holy Spirit himself prophetically cries within you, Daddy. And then your spirit responds and says, Daddy too. There is no other relationship with God except a family relationship. And so the angels are the heavenly side of our family. Now there is a a beautiful picture in Colossians where Paul explains that Jesus didn't just reconcile you to God. That's that's an awesome thing. And it is the foundational thing. But he says also, he's reconciled you to all the family of God. So what happens is, you see, when you are an opponent of God, when you're an enemy of God, you're an enemy of the family of God. So the angels, instead of supporting you, have to come against you. When you are reconciled to God, all of that reverses. And the angels now say, that's my family. And they begin to do the will of God in a whole new way for you and for the purposes of God in your life. Now, they're different from us, obviously. They have no bloodline. There are no angels being reproduced. Can I tell you this, friends? It bothers me when people see people die and say, oh, they've become angels, friends. They don't. The angels are a set group of people created by God as his heavenly family. They are a limited number. Okay, and they are arranged differently than earthly families. They are the highest of the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim. There are archangels, and then there are angels, but they operate as family. This is God's heavenly family, and through Christ, now they are your heavenly family. Does it, do you understand what this means? You may think you're alone. You're never alone. Do you understand when it when when Paul says, if God is for you, he's saying, if all those aligned with God are for you, then no one can be against you. See, it's a whole it's a whole other issue. You're not alone. You're not fighting this battle by yourself. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say about you, like they did about Jesus. God has given his angels charge over you. Are you grasping how beautiful this is? Well, a picture of our family is found in Revelation 4 and 5. Here the apostle John, he sees and he reveals the heavenly picture. And guess what you see? You see a family gathering. It's around the throne of God and there are the angels gathered and there are the elders gathered and there are people of every tongue and nation and tribe. They're all gathered together. And you know what they're filled with? They're filled with wonder. <laughs> the elders who are... Who are people who have the greatest of rewards of of any earthly people who have come into their heavenly rewards, they take their rewards, their crowns, and they're throwing them down at the feet of Jesus all the time. Every time they pick them up, they throw them back down. And these angels are constantly saying to God, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The earth is filled with his glory and they never stop, not because they have to, but because they can't. But you understand, if you read this carefully, you'll realize it's like Christmas Day. It's a family gathering. It's like Thanksgiving gathered around all together, the feast. Everything fulfilled, the family coming together. Do you understand why, in some ways, you and I, we have such expectations of Thanksgiving. We have such expectations of Christmas. We've missed our children or we've missed our parents or we've missed being together with our family or our friends. Do you know what it is? There's inside of us this longing for what will only be fulfilled at the throne of God. Even if your Christmas lives up to expectations, what you're experiencing is an infinitesimal A degree of the joy and the pleasure and the satisfaction and the fulfillment you see if I can have that much pleasure at Christmas it only tells me if I actually get to the fountain or the source of that joy I will be so overwhelmed by it these creatures who worship at the throne Their descriptions are beyond belief. If you ever read there, they have eyes in the front. They have eyes in the back. They look like lions and tigers and bears and all kinds of stuff. But there's this amazing reality that you and I, you see, what's happening is John is seeing the infinite. He's seeing beyond our finite ability to describe. And he does his best but what he's saying is, it's so far beyond what I can even describe. And he says, and that's our family. That's your family. That's the family picture. One of my uh, favorite teachers is a man by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. He's a Scotsman. And he was telling a story about this friend of his, who's a well-known lawyer. And the, guy called, the lawyer calls him up and says, uh, Sinclair... Are any theologians? Do any theologians believe in extraterrestrials? And Sinclair said, "Well, why are you asking me this?" And he said, "Well, I'm on an international council, and we're writing up law for first contact with ex- extraterrestrials. I don't know if the Vulcans are coming or what, but uh, there's already a law in place and there's protocol for first contact. And this lawyer was a part of drawing up that first contact." And so he's asking this great theologian, he's saying, do any theologians believe in extraterrestrials? And he looked at him and said, well, human beings, those who have come to Christ, are God's terrestrial family. He said, so yeah, we believe in extraterrestrials. The angels are God's extraterrestrial family. (laughs) So there are these supernatural beings in your family and they're on your side and it helps in a way to understand or may, in my mind it makes jesus's words even deeper when he said in luke 15 there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents do you understand what he's describing when you tell your kids or you tell your family we're going to have a baby There's a joy that takes place because of the addition to our family. A new daughter, a new son, a new one for us to love, a new one who looks like us, a new one that we can cherish. And here's what the angels are saying. There's a new one for us to cherish. There's a new one for us to love. There's a new one for us to protect. It's a beautiful sense when you realize that that all of heaven, not just because they're glorifying Jesus, but because they're excited about the family. Well, not only are they family members in this sense, but Paul says these angels experience worship with us. That Paul says they actually come to worship gatherings. That where we are worshiping, they are with us. They are participating In these worship gatherings. So, this is Paul talking about an awareness that you need to have that there's an influence, there's a presence, there's a ministry of the angelic family in the circumstances that you and I are going through. And in some ways, again, it's a call when you're going through your most difficult times to not just be a complainer, not just a venter but to learn how can I worship God when I am in my lowest how can I glorify God when I am at my weakest of my strength now now here's, here's something I really would like to get across to you every trial is designed to reveal your weakness every trial is designed to manifest to you your limitations If God were to show your limitations and your weakness all at once, you would probably just want to die. But because he shows them at the right times and in the right places, then you can say, I am seeing my anger, but this is for my healing. I'm seeing that I want to comfort myself in illicit practices, but God's showing me this because he wants to heal me of this. And then you begin to realize it's not that God is against you that this is showing up. It's because he is for you. And as this is happening, as it's being revealed to you that you have these shortcomings, you have these sinful areas, you have these weaknesses, then what's taking place is that if you will just acknowledge that instead of trying to either excuse it, justify it, or in some way, you know, rationalize it or whatever it is, but you just go, I am really struggling in this area. Then your honesty and your openness will unleash God's entire battalion of caring for you. You understand, the reality is he knew when he chose you how weak you were. You are just as justified when you don't know how weak you are as you are justified when you begin to realize how weak you really are. And in some ways, you can't grow until it's exposed where your limitations are. And a lot of us take a long time admitting. We take a long time to begin to actually say, this is my problem. This is my issue. We keep trying to cover it up. We keep trying to do better, thinking God wants us to do it in our own willpower. But you see, when it comes to your life, your willpower is best yielded so that then the angels of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ, and all of this heavenly family that loves you and wants to lift you up then can be proactive towards you. You can resist. I mean, if you can quench the spirit, then you can stop the angels. And many of you have and are doing that because you still think it's about you and you think it's up to you. (laughs) I was... I was riding in a golf cart of a very nice man. But he had a plaque on his golf cart. If it's to be, it's up to me. And we had, we had metal sticks in our hands with that kind of blasphemy on his, on his golf cart. But many of us tend to think that way. Well if you're getting that they're your family you must get this and this is this is what we've been learning in our prayer series god doesn't do things directly god does things through mediators so that is basically what the angels are both in the old testament and the new testament they are mediators of god's will Jesus himself is the mediator through which we get a right relationship with God. There's no other way that you can come into an acceptance with God apart from Jesus Christ. He's a mediator. But the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, the everywhere present of God, the all-knowing of God is mediated through Jesus. He holds all things together, means he's the mediator of all the power of God over all the people that have ever existed. But here is what Scripture says, is that as these angels are working in your life, they are mediating the glory of God in your life. They will always declare His glory. You look at every instance in, when they're coming you know, to Mary, when they're coming to Joseph, when they're coming to the shepherds, they are, they're always declaring God's glory. See, this is the issue with those who get too angel-focused, is that they're thinking the angels do things on their own and can be coerced into doing something. An angel will never do anything that hasn't been mediated by God for them to do. But more than that, the angels themselves don't care for credit. One started to bow down to them. John himself started to bow down in Revelation 19. And the angel said, get up, don't worship me. Worship God. You see they will never do for you anything that is not the glory of God in your life. That is who they are, that's what they do. But they also are obedient. They fulfill God's will. They're always doing in obedience what God has asked them to do. But here's the deal. The Bible is really being clear. God invisibly governs this world through his mediators. And so they are his servants, they're the defenders of you and me they serve us but they serve us according to the will of god they will not they will not serve you according to your agenda they will serve you according to the will of god if you review your life i know you might be skeptical but if you review your life you will see times where you go how did i escape that situation or why wasn't I at that party? Or why, would, why did I not go get that job? Or whatever it is. And you'll, you might not know as many of them as a, actually happened. But there are things you can look back and go, how did that take place? And then you go, I think that was God mediating invisibly yes. through demons. Not through demons, through angels, right? <laughs> but they're often unnoticed by us because again they don't care for the glory they know the source of the glory is god and see any religion that gets diverted into putting too much focus on the angelic activity is missing the point paul was clear the angels were for him because you know he got him out of jail numerous times they did all kinds of stuff he met you know angels protecting and defending but he didn't say if angels are for me he said, if God is for me, then who can be against me? So it's important that we look and we give them this, this place that they have, which God has given them charge over your life. They are mediators. A great example in the scriptures is actually the Second Kings 6 passage, where Elisha and his, his servant. Now, you see, the servant isn't just somebody that like brings him bread and and drink or whatever, a servant in terms of the prophetic. He was a prophetic assistant. He was the assistant to the prophet. But this guy is interesting in the story because when he goes out and looks, he says, there's COVID-19 in the hills. (laughs) Well, basically you know what he said? He says, the enemy has got to surround it. They have every heel taken. There's no escape. We are done for, he says. He tells that to the prophet. And the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And he takes the same guy right back out to the same circumstance. Were the enemy there? Yeah, the enemy was there. Yeah, their chariots were there. Their horses were there. Their spears were there. Their swords were there. It was all there. But now a veil falls off his eyes and he sees the heavenly host. And he sees the chariots of God. And he sees the mighty warriors of God. He sees his family has come to rescue them. Do you think it only happens in those moments no friends these angels are constantly busy for you can I just look at this story a little more deeply for a minute a little while later uh, an official by the name of Naaman comes and needs to be healed and he's a very high up guy he's high ranking he's rich and he gets healed and he offers Elijah, Elisha some money and, and Elisha says no I don't, I don't want your money and so this servant kind of waits lets Elisha go maybe take a nap I don't know whatever he's doing and then he runs after Naaman and he goes ah, my, my master changed his mind pay me you understand you can see and still not see because you can see and say, okay, they're there for that, but what about this? What about my economy? What about my needs? Isn't it amazing that the human mind can have so much trouble drawing a parallel? If he can save me from the enemy in the hills, then he can take care of my financial ills. I know, I thought of that. <laughs> so the third thing... Are, I'm good that way. So the third thing, uh, are you tracking with me so far? So the third thing is the Bible describes them as those who are intimately involved, but it uses this word watching. So of course they're watching you, but think about this. In that descriptor in Revelation 4, 6, it says they're covered with eyes. They're at the throne, but they're covered in eyes front and back. That means they can look upon more than just you. But what it really shows us is that the angels are always looking at what God's doing. And they're always about what God is about. So the first indication of this is in Genesis chapter 1. And this, is, this might be a little bit new to you, but you see, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son have been conferring about creation. Okay, they're, they're on page with one another. They, they have the plan worked out. But then... God speaks. He's not speaking to the spirit. He's not speaking to the son or to the father. God together speaks. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the family. And he says, we're going to make man in our image. That's the first word. He's not speaking into space. He's speaking to his family. He's saying, we're going to make these people male and female, and we're going to make them in our image. And then you fast forward to Christmas and suddenly you see the time has come. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been waiting for this moment and the Father says to the Son, go. And the Son says, Father, I'm ready, I'm going. And the Spirit says, you're not going alone. I'm going to be with you from the beginning to the end. I'm not going to ever leave you. I'm not going to forsake you except for at the cross, but I'll be there in the resurrection. But here's what we know from Christmas narrative. The father said to the angels, "Go be with my son." Go be with my son. Do you know what, you know what it, it's saying? He needs familiar voices. He needs to hear your voices when he's in that manger. It's going to be grimy. It's going to be dirty. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be an outcast. But he needs to hear your voices. And we hear a a host of the heavenly hosts. We hear all of these heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Why were they doing that for that baby? Because when he finishes his temptation, they come and minister again. Go be with my son, the father said. When he finished his prayer in Gethsemane, they came again. One solo angel came and ministered to Jesus in Gethsemane. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? They're they're always, they're always where the child of God most needs them to be. It is not merely that God is concerned for your broken heart. He sends his angels to your broken heart. It's not merely that God cares that you're going through a hard time. He sends his angels because just as he wouldn't let his son be in a manger without familiar voices, he will not let you be in your trial without these familiar faces. So why do they want to look upon all these things? Well, my theology professor said they're asking always these questions what is God up to? What is he doing? Because even what God does confounds the angels. And then why does he want to do that? Why did he want to become man for us? And then when they see the crucifixion, they look and they see the glorious son of God being treated as a criminal, being treated as a sinner, being treated as if he is sin itself. And they had to ask the question, how could he possibly do that? Now, how do I know they're watching at the cross? Because Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could call down 10,000 angels right now. You understand, whatever you're going through, they're right there. They're right there. But they had to watch. They had to let the darling of heaven die. And they couldn't save him so that he could save you now they ask this question if you were to run into an angel today and he were to speak to you you know what he would say to you why don't you realize what he has done for you we do having done all this for you how can you not see can i say this one last thing about this as we put these three together one who is for us is greater than the one who is against us you understand I believe in the demonic I I teach on how to deal with deliverance I've trained pastors and missionaries all over the world about doing deliverance but you have to get this one fact in your mind only a third of the angels rebelled that means two thirds are still against the one third the ones who are for us are greater than the ones that are against us. And it might not be the best thing to do, but I'd like to say this. Satan, my family is better than your family. All the time, you see, I see Christians who are overwhelmed by spiritual warfare, overcome by demonic presences, overwhelmed by unbelief and curses and all of these things. Two-thirds of the angels are for you. They treat you as if you are their own brother, their own sister. It is time for us to say, Lord, I see what you've done in me. I value who you are to me. And I know that you will never leave me.
1: That same promise that the Holy Spirit made, um, to never leave Jesus or forsake him while he was on earth is the same promise that's made to us. And the same promise that the Father made to send angels to be with us always is the same promise that he makes to us. And I was thinking about it this way um, for whatever reason, I'm sure that you guys have had kids or heard stories of kids, they don't want to go, like my kids won't go upstairs alone. They don't want to go downstairs alone. And all it takes is me saying, go with your brother upstairs even if they're little, and that surprises me. So, you know, my seven-year-old feels safer to go upstairs because his five-year-old brother goes with him. But I was thinking about it, that's the promise that we have, is that there's somebody who's always going to go with us. And it doesn't make sense. It's hard for our human minds to understand, but church... We have a Father who has promised that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And not only has he sent his Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of us, but he has sent his angels to be with us always. And so this morning, if you would stand with me, I'm just going to pray over us that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the heavenly hosts that surround us. I'm convinced, I don't know about you, but from time to time, worship songs pop in my head, and I'm convinced that those are the angels singing around me, and it's an invitation to enter in and to worship with them, and a reminder that I have a home, and it's not here, but I'm surrounded by family. And so if you would just open up your hands, and I'll just pray a blessing over you. Father, I thank you that we are never alone. I thank you that you always send somebody to go with us. I thank you that you have promised that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that every individual in this room and watching online would begin to see the heavenly hosts that surround us, would begin to hear the worship of the angels that surround us, and would begin to sense the closeness of the presence of God within them. Father, I thank you that you thought of everything, that you thought of how we could get close to you by sending your son Jesus, and then you thought of how we could remain here and be your witnesses by having the angels live with us. You thought of everything, God. You made a way for everything. And so we hold on to you this morning. We hold on to the promise that we are not alone and that you are always with us and you are always working and moving. And we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray.